So this morning, we'll be uh, looking to Ruth. How many of you remembered to read ahead? Fair enough. (laughs) One person did this week, and I was told that someone did two weeks ago. So they were really ahead of the curve. So uh, as we look at Ruth today, we'll be looking at the the themes of covenant. Uh, Ruth is a covenantal book, and the themes of covenant that we'll be looking at are redemption, loving kindness, and providence. And um, Lord willing, we'll we'll look at Psalm 2 next week. The book of Ruth uh, is a historic book. It's it's a historic narrative book, also called a Hebrew short story, um, which means that it's an historically accurate account um, of real events that uh, that are recounted to the reader in a narrative form. Uh, believers and unbelievers alike have described it, the book of Ruth, as a masterful composition, and it is a beautiful account. Um, and we're, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna go over the whole book today, all four chapters. But we don't have time to read the text of four whole chapters. So we'll be covering the theme, and we'll hit a lot of the highlights. And since you didn't read it last week, maybe this will prompt you to say, "Hey, this is really exciting. I'm gonna read it this week." And then you'll have some, hopefully, some some thoughts running around in the back of your head as you're flipping, and and it'll be an exciting uh, process for you. But uh, this beautiful account is not. Um, uh, uh, about romantic love, it's about a covenantal love, covenantal redemption, Yahweh's covenantal providence in ordinary life, as well as his um, covenantal providence foreshadowed in the kinsman redeemer. We see it first in Boaz, but then also pointing to our blessed kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ. And so you can open your pew Bible to Ruth or your, your phones or your personal Bible. And I'm going to begin by reading uh, Ruth 1, 1 through 5 to get us going on the, the background and, and uh, so the text reads, Ruth 1.1, now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Mahlon and Kilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Milan and Kilion also died, so the women survived her two so the woman survived her two sons and her husband. This is awkward. There we go. Technology at its finest. <laughs> awkward. Um, <laughs> okay, so, so Ruth is a historical account, and so I like to place things in history so it gives us an idea of, of where it is and what's going on and, and to provide legitimacy to the claim. Um, as Ruth 1.1 reminded us, the, the, the setting of Ruth took place during the period of the Judges, which is why um, our Western Bibles have Ruth right after Judges. It, it, it flows progressively uh, in order for the timeline. 
And probably during the time of Gideon, uh, between 1192 and 1152 BC, and that's most easily established because of the genealogy at the end of, of Ruth that we'll, we'll look at just briefly. The period of the judges was characterized by a theme that's repeated twice in Judges. Does anyone remember offhand what that, the, the theme of Judges was? The book of Judges or the period? In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Yet the story of Ruth will demonstrate that amid the chaos, um, that God is still in control and providentially working his plan of redemption, and that soon a righteous king pointing to David, a man after God's own heart, would be raised to unite and lead his people in righteousness. And David would also serve as a type to Jesus, as his great-grandfather Boaz will in this story today, and, and directing us to the coming Messiah, our kinsman, redeemer, and king. The setting of, of Ruth takes place in Bethlehem and in Moab. Um, Ruth 1 verse 2 talks, refers to them as Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And um, Ephrathah and Bethlehem were just two different names um, for the same location. Some, some, some commentators and theologians have said it's kind of like adding a zip code to the, the city. Um, where in Olympia do you live? Well, 98516. Or I guess here's 517, I'm thinking. But. So it's, it's just kind of reiterating, reiterating the same place. The text tells us that Elimelech and his wife Naomi and their two sons, Milan and Kilion, left Bethlehem due to a famine. And they traveled to Moab. And some irony is that uh, Bethlehem means house of bread, and yet now it is the house of famine. And there's, there's no indication how long um, they lived there before Elimelech died or when the sons were married. Um, but the implication is that Milan and Kilion were married to their Moabite wives for 10 years. Um, but again, plenty of commentators speak to the 10 years as the time that Naomi lived there versus the time the boys were married. Um, I wanted to lay out the characters to help you understand um, their relationships. And so in the main block, there are Elimelech and Naomi. Their sons, uh, Milan and Kilion, are annotated below, um, adjacent to their Moabite wives. And there is a lot of um, significance that an Israelite would marry a Moabite. Um, the Moabites um, were descendants of Lot, so there is some family history, but Genesis 19, 30 through 37 tells us that it is a lineage of, from an incestuous relationship, so not, not ideal in any stretch. Um, and it's drunk, drunken Lot and his, his eldest daughter um, bring us the, the, the tribe, the nation of Moab. And then the Israelites... Um, as they were coming out of Egypt, were treated harshly by the Moabites. Um, the king not only forbade their, their passage through uh, Moab on their way to Canaan, but Balak, the king of Moab, attempted to have Balaam curse the Israelites, um, which didn't work. If you remember the story, he ended up just blessing them over and over again. But later on in Deuteronomy, um, Moses reminded the people that an Ammonite or Moabite shall not enter the assembly of the Lord even to the tenth generation. None of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord forever. 
because they did not meet you with bread and water on the road when you came out of Egypt, and because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor, from Pethor of Mesopotamia, to curse you. And so uh, the, the leadership of Israel and, and Scripture and law kind of speaks against the Moabites. So on a surface, we're seeing the behavior of unfaithful Israelites who left the promised land and also collaborated with the enemy, if you will, by marrying uh, Moabite women. Um, to your left, uh, later on, we'll be introduced to Poloni Almoni, uh, who was the closest family member to Elimelech. I call him Mr. What's His Futz, but we'll deal with him. We'll deal with him later. He has a strange name, and so I'll. I'll his name is actually a, a, a Hebraism, kind of meaning so and so. Boaz, as I'm sure you're all well aware of, is the other close relative to Elimelech. Um, and uh, it is Boaz who actually pursues the role of kinsman redeemer. Um, I did also want to draw attention to the meaning of Elimelech and Naomi's names because of their relevance, their significance. As you can see, Elimelech means my God is king. And I think this is poignant because um, the theme, again, of this period is that there, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And so in the naming of their son... Elimelech's parents said, there, we have no king, but my God is king. And so I, I think that's relevant. And then also, um, as the story progresses, it points to uh, Israel's Davidic king, to, to, to David himself. And in many respects, Ruth is a kingdom book. And, and again, both Boaz and David are types of Jesus, uh, uh, King Jesus, um, Naomi's name means my pleasant one or pleasant. Her name takes on significance at the end of chapter one uh, upon her return to Bethlehem. So again, pleasant left Bethlehem. Um, the, the famine drove them eastward in search of food. And, and over the course of that decade, she lost her husbands and both sons. And she even lost her, um, one of her daughters-in-law who, who returned to her own family so now the widow Pleasant returns to Bethlehem with, with just a single daughter-in-law, Ruth. And in verse 19, the text tells us that the town was abuzz. They were excited at her return. Yet, as Pleasant returned home, she came under a new name, which is bitter. She says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. She says, um, the Lord has testified, Yahweh has testified against me, and Almighty has afflicted me. Ruth 1, verses 20 and 21 is, is a good demonstration of a hurting believer misinterpreting God in light of his or her own circumstances instead of trying to interpret God in, in light of his character. Yet I do want to credit Naomi with understanding the providence of God in directing her affairs. In her mind, Yahweh had forgotten her, but Almighty had afflicted her. Now, we have the blessing as modern believers to look back. We, we can look at Romans 8, 28 and 29. We can read the story of the life of Job. We can read the life of Joseph as demonstrated in Genesis 50, verse 20. And even this story of Naomi as a perspective that all things work together for good for those who are called to the Lord, regardless of how bad things look on the surface. And even the psalmist elaborates in Psalm 84:11, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. So we have a, a benefit that Naomi doesn't have, but it is a good reminder that we should, 
we should balance our situation in light of uh, the work of, of God in our lives. Um, again, the themes of covenant that we'll be uh, addressing this morning are redemption, loving kindness, and providence. And I, I want to quickly define these terms so that it'll, it will facilitate the progression of, of the lesson. So redemption is the act of buying something back, um, the, the saving of someone or something at a cost. Um, the kinsman redeemer um, was the relative with obligation and opportunity to buy back his relative's estate, to buy it out of slavery, slavery or to buy it out of uh, essentially bankruptcy. Um, and closely tied to uh, that role of kinsman redeemer, yet distinct in its own right, is that of leveret marriage. Does anyone... I, I kind of want to ask if, if, if anyone needs me to define leveret marriage, but you're always told not to pe- put people on the spot. So I'm sure there's multiple people here who understand what leveret marriage is. Does someone want to give it a quick summary? Leveret marriage. Um, it's described to us... Um, there's, there's a, a story of it in Genesis 38. Um, and I believe it's from Deuteronomy 25. I'll, I'll address it a little bit later. But basically, leveret marriage is um, when uh, a widow die, uh, when when a widow loses her husband, uh, it's the father's responsibility to give. It's the brother. The brother of the deceased husband is supposed to marry the childless widow, in order to give her an heir that is technically the deceased brother's child. So that's a leveret marriage in summary. And we'll talk about it a little bit more as we go. Um, Now regarding loving kindness, I want to introduce you to the word chesed. Um, There are, I am sure, several words of the original languages that you already know and, and, and understand when you hear them used in, in church. Um, some come to mind. What are some, what are some Hebrew or Greek words that come to your mind that you hear all the time from the pulpit or in, in reading a Bible study? What's that? Shalom. Shalom's fairly common uh, greeting. Rick? Yahweh. Yahweh. The covenantal name of God. You'll, you'll hear me say that a lot this morning, so that I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. Yahweh is the covenantal name of God. Again, when you read it in your text, it's all capitals for Lord. That's what it's referring to. And um, I, I prefer to say Yahweh um, distinctly, when it, especially when it's talking about that name, him specifically in that setting. Um, I think of uh, agape, you know, agape, maybe even phileo. Um, uh, Abba, especially when it's used as, in redundancy, Abba Father. Um, so, all that to say that um, you don't need to he- be a Hebrew or Greek scholar to throw some of these words into your vocabulary, and um, I think that this is one that you should add to your vocabulary, so you'll hear it several times today, and I, and I hope you'll remember it. Um, chesed is one of my favorite Hebrew words because of the deep uh, implications that it carries with it. It's frequently transcribed. Translated in the Old Testament as loving kindness, faithfulness, or mercy in, in English. So when, when you see that in the Old Testament, it's not always, because there are a few different words for, for mercy and such that are, that are used, but, but quite frequently you're seeing the word hesed. 
And, um, and it, it's just a weighty word packed with rich meaning. Um, it, it refers to an enduring faithfulness, a steadfast love, a promise-keeping, and covenantal love that will not fail. And it has significant undertones of a very deep relational love. And so when I come across it, because of that depth of meaning and the richness in it, I prefer to actually think of all the implications that are wrapped up in, in chesed than trying to tag one English word to it. And that's why I encourage you to, um, to put it in your vocabulary so that like all this imagery and, and covenantal relationship and love and, and depth flow into that instead of just one simple word. Um, again, Hesed is a, a beautiful theme echoed throughout the book of Ruth, demonstrated by Ruth herself and by Boaz, and it likewise points us to Christ and his Hesed. Providence is also a theme that is demonstrated throughout, um, where, wherein we see the hand of God working through the lives of ordinary people, all while moving his covenantal plan forward, first in the lives of these characters that, that we've noted, second with a glimpse towards David at the end of the passage, um, and then ultimately in God's plan of redemption um, and the future messianic kingdom. And there's also a beautiful subplot within Providence um, with the demonstration of Yahweh's sovereignty and seed. We'll see it first in chapter 1, his provision of grain seed to end the famine in the land, and then at the end of the book, in chapter 4, his provision of human seed to address the famine of the soul. And it's a beautiful picture because it's not just the soul of Naomi, the soul of, of, of Ruth by, by, the, by the human seed, but it's also our redemption as it points forward to, to Christ himself. So chapter 1. Chapter 1 is a recounting of grief, Upon grief, um, Naomi, already bearing the grief of being a refugee, becomes a widow. Then as a widow, she loses her children as well. The commentator Bruce Walkie notes, the first episode features no grain seed. The second, no human seed. Naomi's bereavement is double. So what is Naomi's state? She's too old to have another child or heir. Without an heir, Elimelech's household will lose its inheritance and social immortality in Israel. That was the social immortality is was the justification behind um, the Leveret marriage, so that that family line will continue. All that Naomi has left are her two daughters-in-law, and again, in Waltke's words, the three surviving widows, especially Naomi, are left in desperate need of Chesed, unfailing kindness to the helpless. What is demonstrated in, the, in this first chapter, in the words of Pastor Todd Pruitt, particular vulnerability of women in the book of Ruth requiring the intervention of a savior. If, if Waltke, uh, the commentator, were to summarize our theme in a sentence, it would essentially be, when his covenantal people are utterly helpless to save themselves, he redeems them by demonstrating love and kindness and so we see the covenantal hand of Yahweh begin to move in Ruth 1.6. Yahweh restores the seed of the ground to give his people bread. And somehow the news of the upcoming harvest has come to Moab and Naomi hears of it and, and she's preparing to return home. And with that intent to return home, 
she encourages her daughters-in-law to stay behind, return to their homes under, the, under their mother in, in hopes of finding a husband. And, and even in verse, verses 11 through 13, Naomi introduces the covenantal practice of leveret marriage because she's saying, this isn't an option for me. She says, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I, should, if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they are grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of Yahweh has gone out against me. So again, from Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 10, leveret marriage is a marriage between a childless widow and her former husband's brother. So she says, I, I have no more sons to replace your husband's. In verses 8 and 9 of, of chapter 1, Naomi had invoked a covenantal prayer for Yahweh's hesed to be demonstrated to them. She, she says, The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with me, with the dead and with me. Yahweh grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. Yet what is Ruth's response? Naomi prayed for Yahweh's blessing, but Ruth demonstrated it. She declares, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. And we know know that her intention is covenantally minded because she's making the vow before God, before Yahweh she says, may Yahweh do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. Ruth's response is a, is a classic expression to true faith, to loyalty, and love to God and his people. Walkie notes, like Abraham, Ruth leaves her country and family to follow I am to an unseen land. The... Historical events of Ruth take place during the periods of Passover and Pentecost, and we know this because Ruth 1 ends, uh, uh, ends with, with mentioning uh, the barley harvest, and then uh, the, the setting of chapter 2, um, where Ruth um, <clears throat> seeks permission to, to, to glean in the fields. Chapter 2 is a demonstration of Yahweh's providence, moving within the normal activities of his people. We already saw the covenantal mindset of Ruth, and so we should not be surprised by her desire to serve Naomi by gleaning in the nearby fields. Um, Ruth 2, 2 through 3. So Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain, after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she, Naomi, said to her, Go, my daughter. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Despite the marked subtlety in the phrase, and she happened to come, in verse 3, it is actually a Hebraism of using chance to point to the hand of God. We see in the verse a blending of happenstance and providence. In Ruth 2.3, so she set out 
and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened, or literally, her chance chanced, or her chance chanced upon, to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who happened to be of the clan of Elimelech, her father-in-law's kin. The commentator Leon Morse ex- explains it this way, and he does a great job of helping us understand how chance actually points to providence. She happened is the translation of an expression which makes it clear that Ruth did not understand the full significance of what she was doing. Isn't that typical? We just go about our lives and then, boom, something providential stares us in the face. He says that she she did not understand the significance of what she was doing. It points to the truth that men do not control events, but that the hand of God was behind them as he works his purpose out. In verses 1 and 3, our author repeats the information that Boaz was from Elimelech's clan. The hand of God is over Ruth's action, and he does not want us to miss that. Consider the flow of our theme. When his covenant people are utterly helpless to save themselves, he redeems them by demonstrating love and kindness. Yahweh directed Ruth, unbeknownst to her, into the field of Boaz. And this should be an encouragement to you to search for the hand of providence in your lives in your, the, the everyday affairs of your life, and not just to focus on the blessings. Think of, think of how even the negative things have to work out, providentially speaking. Even, God even brings the weird and the, the, the bad things on the surface in our lives for our good. Um, a, a recent event that happened to us personally was on Easter morning when a, a box of groceries was stolen off our front porch. And the reason why I declare that it has to be Providence is we have ring doorbells, we have ring cameras, we have all this stuff pointing all over the property. And when you're out there on a, on a given Saturday or the kids are playing, bing, 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 the, the thing's going off all, all the time. It, it captures when a package is delivered. Well, the night before, a package was delivered in the dark we happen to still be awake, so if he had knocked or rung the doorbell, we, we would have been able to retrieve the package. The delivery driver didn't do that. And at 5 a.m. on Easter morning, a guy comes up, steals the package right off our porch, and the doorbell didn't alert us that anyone was there, that there was any motion. And we have an idea of what took place because one of the side cameras picked it up, but it's not enough to see a face or to, um, or to get a license plate number. So we got confirmation that, yeah, a package was delivered uh, and that it was stolen. And, and I say providence because on any other given day, the camera should have picked it up. Um, not that we need to waste our time pursuing someone who stole $100 worth of spaghetti sauce and peanut butter, but, but clearly the hand of God. Um, as we're introduced in chapter 2, to Boaz, Boaz is immediately demonstrated as a man invoking the blessing of Yahweh. And he does it over and over again. And again, Yahweh is the covenantal name of God. He's a covenantly minded man. In verse 4, he says, Now behold, the text says, Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, Yahweh be with you. He greets them with the blessing of Yahweh. And they respond in kind. Boaz is further illustrated as a man who not only invokes the blessing upon the people, but he's a man of action. He's a man that materializes 
the blessing of God to his people. Consider Ruth 2.8. Then Boaz said to Ruth, You will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close to my young women. So he had invoked the blessing of Yahweh even on Ruth, but then he, he materialized it by saying, You'll stay here, you'll stay under my protection, and you'll harvest from me. And if you read through the text this week, you'll see that he goes out of his way to provide blessing upon blessing to her. Unlike the men in Judges, again, context, Boaz does not treat Ruth as a piece of property. Instead, he addresses her as daughter. I do want to point out, though, that in verse 5, he had asked, whose young woman is this? But in the ancient Israelite culture, again, he wasn't saying she was someone's property, but a young woman was either identified with her father or with her husband. And then realizing that she had neither, he generously and graciously addressed her covenantally as daughter. And Boaz Boaz attributes this generosity to her because of his consideration of the hesed which Ruth demonstrated to Naomi. And he blesses her with Yahweh's hesed. Ruth 2, verses 10 through 12. So she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? And Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, and how you have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know before. Yahweh repay your work, and a full reward be given you by Yahweh God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Consider the similarities of the words of Boaz in Ruth 2, 11 through 12, in the language of Genesis 12, verses 1 and 2. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. The words of Boaz can can even be interpreted as an allusion to the coming matriarchal blessing of Ruth. I think that's easy to read into that. Um, in, In the early verses of Ruth 2, we can infer... Naomi's stupor of depression based on her behavior. Um, the first behavior that we, we observe is inactivity. Naomi chose not to glean, though she was likely quite capable of doing so. She was probably, you know, she says, I'm too old to bear children, so on and so forth. She was probably in her 40s because she does, she does say, maybe I'm not too old to marry and maybe have kids, but are you really going to wait? She, she's in her 40s. She's not 80 years old, unable to glean. Um, so, so we observe her inactivity. We also observe her lack of direction. Um, Ruth says, I'd like to go glean in a field, um, but Naomi gives no advice to Ruth, um, such as, oh, well, some of our clan, um, Boaz, he's, he's from the household of, of Elimelech. Um, he's right up the road. Why don't you glean in his field? She, she gives no advice. She just simply gives... Uh, permission to Ruth's proactivity. She just says, go, my daughter. However, in verse 20, it's like a light switch went off, or on in this case. Um, She says, perhaps Yahweh hasn't forgotten me after all. She says, Boaz may be our redeemer, our savior, our rescuer. Yahweh's hesed in the form of Goel, the kinsman redeemer. 
And here's... Um, Where am I here? Okay, yeah, we're, we're on track. Uh, this is my translation of the passage because um, I think it helps add a little bit more clarity. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, He, Boaz, is blessed by Yahweh, who has not forsaken his hesed, his covenantal loving kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, The man is close to us. He is one of our redeemers. He's not just a relative. He's a redeemer. As the story progresses, and my slides progress, uh, in chapter 3, I want us as readers to consider the, the practical implications of chesed in the ancient Israelite covenantal community. Chesed in covenantal community is grounded in the compassion of Yahweh and His provision. And we've talked about some of this, but I want to address it specifically because these uh, these uh, are repetitious throughout the book of, of Ruth. To the defenseless, Yahweh uh, provides ownership of grain, that, that, that which is overlooked or left behind by the harvesters. He actually tells the owners of the field what's dropped on the ground and what's left at the edge of the field, that doesn't belong to you. That belongs to the alien, the poor, the widow, and the fatherless. Uh, he provides leveret marriage for the childless widow, and, and also, frankly, for the deceased uh, husband, for the name of that deceased husband. And he also provides a family protector for the needy relative, the kinsman redeemer. As readers, then, we observe Yahweh's intent for chesed um, in, in community being worked out in Naomi's chesed for Ruth. Ruth, verses three, uh, Ruth chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? Naomi was acknowledging that she had an obligation to Hesed, to her daughter-in-law, but then she also says Boaz also has an obligation to seek their rest, both Ruth's rest and Naomi's rest. Further, Hesed and Covenant community is demonstrated in the words of Ruth and Boaz by nature of their responses. Uh, Ruth to Naomi, she declares, All that you say I will do. This is found in Ruth uh, 3.5. All that you say I will do. I don't know, does that ring a bell to anyone? Like I went straight to a movie. The Princess Bride. What does, what does Wesley say? As you wish. As you wish. <laughs> he repeats that. And that's his subtle way of saying, um, I love you. It's, a, it's his token response of, uh, I'll do as you say, as you wish. Um, and it was, it was a subtle way of, of demonstrating his love to her. And over time, she realized, also, this is his way of, of, of saying that he loves me. Um, another strange one came to mind, and I've learned not to say it in my house. How many of you are fans of Babe? What? what? The, the pig movie. It's Babe, the pig movie. It's, yeah. Yeah, you guys got it. That'll do, pig. That'll do. So you can see why I don't have permission to use it in my house. But, so this, this, this phrase, all that you say I will do, um, is, is a, 
a, a chesed response. Um, Ruth uh, 3, verses 8 and 9. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled and he turned himself and there was a woman lying at his feet and he said, who are you? She answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing for you are a close relative. And so just as Naomi um, invoked the responsibilities of Hesed upon herself, with that implication toward Boaz, Ruth is now confronting Boaz with, you're my, you're my redeemer, redeem me. And, and this is a beautiful picture um, which is reiterated in Yahweh's um, demonstration to us as, as his covenantal people from Ezekiel 16.8. The text there says, When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age of love, and I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. This is Yahweh speaking. He said, I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares Yahweh God, and you became mine. Likewise, as Ruth had responded in covenantal faithfulness to Naomi, so did Boaz to Ruth. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do all that you ask. All that you say, I will do. And this, again, points forward to Christ because that was Mary's response when the angel said, a child will come to you. You will name him Jesus, Yeshua. Salvation is his name. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of Yahweh. Let it be to me according to your word. Okay, I threw Yahweh in there. Now, my Greek professors at the back, they didn't use Yahweh in the New Testament. But thanks, everyone, for your generosity. So (laughs) that's what they're referring to, though. Um, So even Mary responded in in that, that Hesed covenantal community mindset. Now, chapter 4 speaks to the actions of the kinsman redeemer. Um, The nearer kinsman in Ruth is actually the foil and the anti-hero. And the author of Ruth, in order to avoid memorializing this selfish kinsman, he refers to him as Poloni Almoni, both words with meaning a certain one or someone, it's, it's translated in, in Bible Hub Interlinear as such and such, and the Logos Lexham Hebrew English Interlinear translates it as so-and-so friend, but by no stretch is he, is he friend. And so the, uh, the author again says, we're, we're not going to memorialize this guy. We're, we're going to call him such and such. Waltke observes, the nearer kinsman is willing to participate in the covenant community as long as it involves no risk and no sacrifice, such action does not reflect the ethics of God's kingdom community. And so his name is struck from history and the spotlight turns to Boaz. Redemption, again, is a leading theme in the book of Ruth. Um, this key word, um, redeem, is used in, in several ways, 11 times as a verb, 9 times as a noun. It's used as a cognate noun, so you can see this repetition of goel, and, and variations of it pointing to, to redeem um, and the redeemer and the kinsman redeemer. Uh, Waltke again reminds us that contrary to popular opinion, the book of Ruth is not a romantic love story, but a story of unselfish and sacrificial love within a family that can survive in no other way. 
That's what chesed is all about, and that's what the covenantal community is all about. In Ruth 4.14, the women of Bethlehem proclaimed, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. These women were speaking of Boaz, um, whom Yahweh would certainly bless with renown, and it points us forward to our blessed kinsman redeemer, Yeshua, Yahweh saves. I get excited when... When I, when I read salvation or the name of Jesus in the Hebrew because we, we miss the connection that Yeshua means salvation. Um, it's, his, it's the name of Jesus. Salvation is his name. He's, he he come to, came to save his people. Um, Jesus is the blessed kinsman redeemer. And it's a beautiful symbol of... The picture of kinsman redeemer is a beautiful picture demonstrating how Messiah interceded for his family when no one else could. Of restoring our lost possessions, of buying us back at a great price and taking us as his bride when we were destitute. And that's what what Ruth points us forward to. That's what Boaz points us forward to um, as a type of Christ. And the story concludes, we see the working out of God's providence in the end. Um, in contrast to Ruth one twenty, where Naomi says, don't call me pleasant, call me bitter. Naomi's great-great-grandson, the psalmist David, would write in Psalm 113.9, he gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise Yahweh. And Ruth 4.17, and the women of Bethlehem gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. Boaz becomes a husband and a father for the first time. Ruth becomes a mother for the first time. Naomi becomes a grandmother for for the first time. And even in a legal sense in the relationship of redemption, Obed is declared the son of Naomi, the progeny of Elimelech. Another beautiful picture pointing us to to Christ is Ruth 4.16. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. And I, it might be a little bit loose, but I think it's a beautiful picture of when Simeon took up Jesus in, in his arms. Luke 2, 28-32. And, and Simon declared, Simeon de- declared, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for re- revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. I need to let you all go. Um, uh, the the rest of Ruth, um, the rest of the ch- of, of chapter four, points forward to uh, the lineage of of Boaz from Obed to Jesse to David, um, and in that even we can see the picture of of leading leading us to to the birth of Jesus. Uh, Boaz is reiterated in the, the genealogy of Christ in uh, both Matthew and in, in Luke. Um, and it's just a, a beautiful picture. I will close with um, just, just this as we see the hand of Yahweh. Um,
the, the seed revisited. God alone grants life in the seed of the earth and the seed of the woman. Uh, Waltke had stated, through the former, he initiates Naomi's redemption, and through the latter, he completes it. Note, note also how uh, the field um, in Bethlehem laid barren for 10 years, as did Ruth, um, as her husband died without leaving her a child. Yet the story unfolds from famine to plentiful harvest and a royal lineage. And uh, even Boaz's actions in, in chapter 3, verses 15 to 17, foreshadow the end. He says, these six measures of barley he gave... This is Ruth speaking. These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. And so that's a picture where Boaz provides her with um, seed of the earth, with, with a grain of barley, and then also provided her the, the human seed, which redeemed the family and leads to our redemption. I wish we had time for questions, but we'll close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you that um, you de- demonstrate your providence in the lives of, of your cov- covenantal community, that it's recorded for us to observe so that we can take comfort in it um, in our own covenantal communities. We're thankful so much for the redemption that you've provided to us um, in Jesus Christ, our kinsman redeemer. And we, we ask your blessing on our, on our Lord's day. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.